Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering a warning from a former FBI special agent, his number one recommendation to protect your company from cyber criminals. And could drones soon be flying overhead? An early sign from the FAA that may signal a change in regulation is on the way. Plus, an economic forecast for insurers, how mutuals can plan ahead for 2020. Drones flying overhead could soon be an everyday sighting. That's good news for insurers, as carriers are increasing their use of unmanned aerial systems and image analytics to adjust claims and respond to catastrophic events. While the Federal Aviation Administration has opened the skies for drone usage, certain regulations still limit insurers' ability to use drones to their full potential. During a recent NAMIC virtual event, PwC Senior Manager Graham Hall discussed some of the challenges in place. The current most relevant legislation is the FAA um, Part 107. It's quite prescriptive around uh, the use of drones for commercial applications. I know it only applies in the US and some international legislations are are less restrictive. Um, We'll just give a couple of examples of the constraints that, um, that it brings with it. Um, the first one, we've talked about this already, is that the drone must be in the line of sight of the pilot. So this obviously introduces limitations. As, let's say you wanted to fly a drone over a disaster area um, where, say, the roads have been cut off. So you can only fly the drone as far as you can see it. And it also means that you can't have your pilot sitting in a control center somewhere. They have to be on the ground next to where the drone is operating. Um, the legislation also specifies the pilot must be able to fully command the aircraft, um, which means that fully or even partially autonomous drones, they're currently illegal. Um, therefore, you still need to have humans employed to pilot the drones. This limits the return on investment. Um, we're going to need to continue to pay pilot salaries in the near future. In spite of these limitations, earlier this year, the FAA proposed a rule that would permit drones to be flown at night and over people. Such restrictions have been an impediment to insurers' drone use, which NAMIC has advocated to remove for the past three years. Just last month, the FAA issued a waiver for a company to fly its drone over people if it was equipped with a parachute. To listen to the full webinar, you can check out the on-demand section of the event calendar at NAMIC.org. As U.S. and global economic trends shift, uncertainty is growing. It is important for business leaders to understand these shifts so they can set realistic expectations for the remainder of 2019 and 2020. During NAMIC's recent management conference, President of ITR Economics, Dr. Alan Beaulieu, provided his forecast for 2020, what it means for budgets and cash planning, and what mutuals can do about it. What they should be focusing on now is what has worked well for them in 2015 and 16 when the economy slowed down. Uh, profits got hurt in that segment, so go back and review what you were doing and say, let's not do that, and think about what you should have done and do that. And it will vary depending on region and client base and all the rest of that, but their history is the best guide to their future. It's often a changing of the message. Uh, it's uh, people looking for help, people are looking for you know easy answers in, on the backside of the business cycle. They're looking for somebody who is not just a business but is warm. All the things that work well for mutuals, and I think they have a message to, to share at that time. 
Dr. Beaulieu says GDP and industrial production in the U.S. and Canada will go into a slowing growth mode in early 2020. He suggests in the second half of the year, however, everyone should expect a stronger economy that will last through 2021. Did you know that an open computer receives more than 42,000 hacking attempts every 13 minutes? Statistics such as this have led former FBI cybersecurity special agent Chris Tarbell to believe two types of companies exist, those that have been hacked and those that don't know they've been hacked. On today's Unscripted, Chuck Chamnis speaks with Agent Tarbell about what insurers can do to protect their data in this kind of environment. Well, we have a special guest joining me today on Insurance Unscripted from our management conference in Asheville, North Carolina. He is one of the most successful cyber security law enforcement officials of all time, and I mean all time, and I just heard the presentation. Uh, I'd like to welcome former FBI Special Agent Chris Tarbell. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So I come to you now in this podcast uh, for our virtual listeners uh, scared, having heard an hour of your uh, stories of the good news, which is basically finding cyber criminals, arresting them, putting them in jail. But uh, certainly looking at the hundreds of NAMIC members in the audience, the questions they had, you know, there are real day-to-day issues today, and there are, of course, many other cyber criminals and opportunities for cybercrime out there. Uh, and so thank you for helping sensitize our audience to it. Um, but it still is not a very reassuring message. No, it's not. I mean, we're being attacked every single day from nation states all the way down just to opportunistic criminals. Um, you know, we used to have low-level criminals doing web, face, web defacements, uh, just putting up something on our web page. That's sort of gone away, and now they're just trying to, you know, send us phishing emails and any way they can get in. And now with, you know, virtual currencies, the ability to charge people ransomware for locking up their data. Um, you know, so financially motivated crimes are sort of outweighing now the state-sponsored stuff. But, you know, the state-sponsored hacks are going to be there, uh, you know, to, you know, make sure you're on top of it. Well, you took down some of the most notorious cyber criminals. Um, any kind of lessons learned there? I mean, you obviously were an FBI agent working in this space. It was your job. But, you know, as you look at, um, you know, those kinds of cyber uh, networks that we read about in the newspapers that you were responsible for finding, tracking down, uh, does it bring up any kind of practical, um, you know, pointers that you might give uh, our mutual insurance companies that, that are at risk for this? Because uh, certainly they're targets every day. Yeah, just realizing that they are a threat, you know, so a lot of companies, you know, wonder why am I being hacked and it might just be an opportun- uh, opportunity to be hacked, you know, they're running an out of date server or uh, end of life server software that they shouldn't be running or uh, misconfigured if they do a joint venture with someone or bring on other networks or buy a company, they're adopting the problems from over there. Um, just realizing that they are a t- an attack is the first hurdle to get over because, you know, some people like to bury their head in the sand and not realize that, oh, I'm just a little company. I'm a company that, that, that doesn't really do anything. Why would they attack me? What do I have to offer? Um, I tell of a story in that you referenced of, you know, travel agencies being hacked into. And why would travel agencies be hacked into? Well, you know, they're going after them for, you know, their clients and what information they can pull from their clients. So uh, you may not think you're a a target, but you certainly could be for what data you have. Well, you know, um, our members are certainly, and all businesses spend a lot of money to build security up and to be less of a you know, low-hanging fruit, which was a term you used, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, if they're crimes of opportunity and 
and they're using the Google dorking or whatever you <laughs> dis, dis, you know talked about around discovering weaknesses, and they just come up with a list of the million companies that are the most weak, and they will be the ones that are you know most likely to be targeted. And you also went through some of the breaches that uh, we're all aware of, and I happen to be uh, in good company with you. Uh, I worked in the first Bush administration, so my records from the OPM uh, were also accessed. And uh, I thought the funniest part of that was, you know, they did, even for my, you know, being a deputy assistant secretary at the Department of Housing and Urban Development, they did a background check. And so the OPM investigator was around my neighborhood. And she called on my then neighbor on Capitol Hill, Martha, who happened to be a communist. No judgment, just saying, if you're a government investigator asking about my, and the main question they'd ask is, has he ever, like, discussed uh, overthrowing the U.S. government. I mean, they ask really basic <laughs> questions about my character, I guess, and whether I'm suitable for the position. But Martha, and it was recorded because I actually FOIA'd it later to get my actual 70 pages of you know records. And so you have the record of Martha, the communist, being asked whether I had been advocating the overthrow of the U.S. government to see if I was suitable for uh, employment in the government. So reassured that the Chinese have that information now. She, Martha probably lives in China now because uh, it would work very well for her. But that, It's a funny that you bring that up and everyone looks at Because I did an uh, investigation for a Supreme Court justice and had to ask those same questions to the U.S. attorney at the time about this Supreme Court justice. And they look at you cross-eyed and be like, I'm sorry, sir, this is just the list of questions I have to ask. That question of so, advocating the overthrow of the U.S. government. That exact question. There you go. <laughs> see? Well, anyway, so glad that that question's being asked. But, you know, that might be a somewhat obvious indicator that someone wants to, you know, do you harm. We have, in this cyber uh, crime uh, process and with all those records that have been accessed and the, the data breaches that are in the news, um, you know, it's never as, as obvious as that. You can't just ask them, uh, you know, what their intent is or how they're intending to uh, get access to this information. You know, our members are going through new compliance uh, that is necessary but is very expensive. It's whether it's uh, New York CFS uh, cyber uh, compliance or the NEIC cyber model that's now uh, you know, required for uh, many companies, most soon all, depending on how the NEIC model is um, uh, adopted. But, you know, how do you, um, the balance between um, taking care of the risk that we know is out there and the expense related to um, adopting all these, uh, you know, I mean, data at rest encryption, I know, is one. Our, our insurance company is on its way to becoming compliant with the New York regs. And um, there is so much that's involved with, uh, with this. You know, as a company, do you have any suggestions in terms of approach uh, other than listen to your consultants who are helping you with security? Consultants are always going to come up with some sort of problem you have in your network. That's what they get paid to do. Um, but you, you, you kind of listed it as a choice, but it's not really a choice when the regulators come in and tell you you have to do this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to do it. You have to comply with it in some sort of way. Can you take a different approach to it that may be more cost effective? Yeah, that's all dependent upon you know you doing your due diligence and hiring the proper people with the you know security background that they can can understand how to uh, supply apply security to you know your business operations already uh, at hand um, you know data data encrypted at rest I mean um, that, that's a big one uh, it's gonna have to happen um, but but why are we stopping at rest you know the the regulations are going to move forward so if you already have people coming in to do you know 
A, B, and C, you might as well do D because it's going to happen eventually. So, um, and it might be cheaper to do it now than uh, and be in the forefront. So, um, just realize what you're doing and not just slapping the regulations on top of what your network already is. Uh, realize what you have there. Um, you know, a lot of these companies don't understand what their networks look like. Um, you know, start there. Start to, to make sure you know what's there. You know, a good network map and an internal assessment of what really um, is attached to your network and who's accessing those points is, is, is a good start. There were several questions in the audience about uh, moving to the cloud, which a lot of companies are doing, and I've heard presentations where a kind of security consultant would say, well, you know, they're asking, is the cloud secure? What are the risks? And they're like, well, do you think it is less secure than these, you know, servers you have in the basement of your building or the hot off-site, you know, former grocery store that you run down the road? Um, so I've heard that kind of reassurance, but what are, what are your thoughts on the, um, the movement that is, um, you know, more reliance on the cloud versus, um, you know, servers in the company? So, like I mentioned before, you're going to want to use cloud services that are the bigger companies. I'm very agnostic to certain companies. I don't pick one or the other. But you wouldn't want a startup cloud service, I wouldn't, from, from a security standpoint, because your cloud is replacing a lot of different things for you, including disaster recovery, location, you know, management of the servers and that sort of thing, the updating of the servers, the patch management. Um, so you want a company that, that's been doing this for a while and security is one of their main, you know, they want to be able to give their service and be up all the time, but security is also there and, and, and be able to utilize. Um, whether it requires you to bring somebody in that can configure that system properly, that's probably something you're going to want to look at and think about, or at least train someone in your IT department to think more security conscious in the settings versus just the IT services um, putting out there. But I'm a big proponent of the cloud. Um, you know, it's going to take a lot of heavy lifting off. If we just have an IT department, let the cloud people worry about the, the security settings of all that. One guy can, can run the cloud versus you know, the entire team uh, running your physical servers and maintaining physical access. Um, one thing I mentioned in the speech that you have to worry about, and the downside of the cloud, is if the guy in the same server next to you is, is part of an attack and you're collateral damage to that. You know, that's one right. of the risks. But you know, the bigger ones, the Azures and the AWS, you know, they're ready for that. Yeah. So you mentioned the evolution and uh, uh, our website back in the 90s, this was dark ages, but uh, it had the defacing attack that you're talking about, Car Parts Ninjas. Oh. If you ever wonder about, you know, they're sure that hopefully they've grown up and gotten real jobs now, but. I think I may know one or two of those eight guys. Or nine hours, uh, uh, that was our, you know, face page on the website. Um, but I, it was harmless, very, I mean, that's something that can get our IT guys upset even today when we talk about, you remember Car Parts Ninjas found their way in. Um, and you know our security is good today, good. But um, how do you see cybercrime evolving in the future? Because we know that was then. Now there's a thousand other types of cybercrimes and and security uh, risks that our members see. What do you see moving forward? It's going to get easier for them. It's getting computer speeds getting faster. You know, it doubles every six months or so. Um, they're already talking about AI moving, you know, artificial intelligence into a learning behavior to you know attack your websites. Um, you know. 
I'm waiting for someone to put out a cheap tool out there in order that runs on AI that, that learns the defenses that you're putting up and can counter those measures, you know, without someone behind the, the keyboard actually typing the, the, the stuff. So it, it's going down that way. I mean, we have um, there's simple software like for forty dollars that hackers can buy uh, that you can configure and 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 go after someone. Um, so it's getting cheap even for the low-level guys to to buy specialized software uh, that'll go after you and punch holes. You don't even have to have a skill set. You just have to have forty dollars and be able to run a uh, GUI interface tool. Wow. Again, not reassuring. Uh, looking for a little reassurance. Here's some, here's some I can get. Well, go ahead. Be aware. Be aware that this is out there and that you need to, you, there, there's things you can look for for it, you know. So um, it, it's, it's not a pretty world, you know. You know, people are trying to get us all the time, unfortunately. Well, let's talk about what, you know, is the silver lining in some cases around our industry, and that is our industry is all about mitigating risk and helping businesses, in this case, deal with the risks they face every day. One of them is, as we're talking about, cybercrime. And so, uh, you know, cyber liability insurance is a growing um, part of our industry. Our companies are offering it. How do you see that, uh, um, you know, move going forward? And, you know, what do you see as this climate, uh, what, it, what does it mean for insurers as they're uh, offering the coverage? So cyber insurance kind of came out of the gate running a little bit ahead of its time. Uh, it, 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 there was a, a need for it and a hole to be filled, but I don't. I think they started putting offerings out before they knew what they were getting into. They didn't know where to evaluate things, where to where to put things. Um, and you know, cyber due diligence is now coming along with cyber insurance. So the cyber insurance companies are you know understanding what they're adopting, what they're insuring before you know getting involved or setting a premium or policy. Um, but they weren't doing that at the beginning, so they're catching up. They're, they're hiring the companies to go out there and, uh, you know, check for what, what's attached, what's going on, and what's really happening. And that, that's a big step forward from where we were even a couple of years ago with cyber insurance. So it'll continue to evolve, and, and it'll be a place I think you're going to have, you know, it's going to be a part of every business, you know, in the next 10 years. As you talk about, you know, you said be aware. Uh, I think that uh, it is another tool for awareness. I know we've purchased cyber liability. Uh, our insurance company also sells it to our member insureds. But... You know, the process of having uh, your company fill out the application and documenting all the things that are asked in the, you know, dozens of pages of a, you know, cyber liability uh, application, that's a valuable process in itself. And then to get the feedback even from underwriters, and of course they learn more with each step, and I agree with you, it is kind of the thing where the, the industry saw an opportunity, went into it, and is learning about it as it, you know, goes forward, and I'm sure as claims are paid, some lessons may be uh, painful. But uh, it's a learning process, but I think over time, uh, you're right, most businesses will have it because uh, it's not the kind of thing that uh, businesses want to keep as their own risk. They'd like to you know, offload it as they can to an insurance company. My, my only concern is that the, the, some of the C-suite members may not uh, understand the cyber risk that they are adopting and as they expand in joint ventures and grow their networks and grow employees and just rely on cyber insurance. Right. It, it's not an answer. It's, no. it's, it's not an answer to cybersecurity concerns. No, and, and to the extent that uh, companies view it that way, I think that uh, they'll have a hard time getting cyber liability insurance. I think so, too. If the underwriters are doing their job. Well, Chris, uh, 
Any closing comments or words of wisdom? Because I can assure you every listener uh, from among our members is thinking about these topics. So any uh, final words of advice before we wrap up here? Yeah, just the message of the, the speech I gave the members today that, you know, we need to start working together because the criminals are working together against us. So uh, we need to start sharing what we're doing to protect our networks together. You know, if we're all in the same industry, uh, we need to bring that. And, uh, you know, if I'm being attacked from a certain set of IPs or, you know, simple as that, you know, if we can block IPs and, you know, it's a bit of a whack situation but we have to do something to be together and not just hide what's happening in our companies and keep it internally we need the good guys need to uh, to fight alongside each other well Chris as they said in a uh, famous movie uh, we need you on that wall <laughs> and thank you for being on that wall as a former FBI special agent thanks for sharing your message today with our members thank you for having me I had a great time on the next unscripted Chuck sits down with Keith Wolf president of property casualty at Swiss Re they discuss the reinsurer's plans related to the changing landscape for private flood insurance. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and we hope you'll keep tuning in as we return with more insurance news and information on July 24th. If you have a topic or issue you'd like us to uncover, please don't hesitate to let us know. You can send us an email at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.